Hi, I'm Dicky Duck. Hi, I'm Lisa Sue. I'm mashed potato. And I'm strawberry milk. And we are. We don't have a name yet. So right now we're at a hotel eating Thai tea. And we're surrounded by people. So if you hear any background noises, it's very cute. Yeah, I mean, it's not that full here. But I think the design of the restaurant has the noise kind of sounding off the walls. Or if you hear any chewing sounds. That's us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is Doc, and I'm really into art, and I love art galleries. I basically live at art galleries. And today I saw the new exhibition at White Rabbit Gallery. Have either of you guys been? No. Oh, oh no. Lisa, you love it. Um, so the White Rabbit Gallery is actually a really interesting place. It's the largest private. Um, art gallery in Australia and it is the largest collection of contemporary Chinese art outside of China and so like this really wealthy couple has just collected Chinese art um, and it opened about 10 years ago now and the current exhibition which opened yesterday is their 20th exhibition it's called Hot Blood and it's actually one of the best exhibitions that I've ever seen in the past 10 years so when people think about contemporary Chinese art right so People think about you know contemporary Chinese artists responding to say like the Cultural Revolution to Mao. So what is the um, what is the time period that is classified as contemporary Chinese art? So the collection itself only consists of artworks uh, from Chinese artists say like China, Taiwan, Hong Kong uh, since two thousand. So contemporary is. Contemporary art is just basically art from the now, so any art from the current period at any point in time is contemporary, as opposed to say like postmodern, which is like a very specific actual period. Mm -hmm. Sorry if I'm going into way too much art, <laughs> art chat. Um, so White Rabbit is really, really great, and this exhibition currently called Hot Blood is interesting because it's it consists of a lot of very new, current, young artists. So not the contemporary Chinese art that we think of which is like related to the Cultural Revolution and, and government and politics, but about like the new millennial kind of generation which is all which you know grew up in in the current era, you know, globalization, internet. Um, so after um, after they kind of reopened their borders. Exactly. Um, so they talk a lot about that in the exhibition. And um, so it's a lot of really interesting work. Um, it was very explicitly sexual as well, more so than previous ones. So is it like one artist or a selection of artists? So, uh, they... so it's a selection of artists. So there's like a theme. So there's a theme and the theme, this theme was Hot Blood and the artwork that inspired this current theme it's also very sexually uh, explicit. And it's a video work by this artist who had like a trout, like a dead trout on a table, kind of in a very traditional, referring to traditional um, still life. Um, and she's just kind of like poking inside the trout's mouth with her fingers. And it becomes very violently really kind of gruesome the way that she kind of because <laughs> they wrong um, yeah and then it becomes like really violent and she kind of like destructs the fish in a really violent kind of very overtly sexual way and it's very uncomfortable to watch 
Um, and that's kind of what this contemporary art gallery is trying to do, is it's trying to create an environment where people go in and they're really confronted by, by art and it raises a lot of questions and really creates a visceral reaction in your body to the artworks themselves. And like good contemporary art is kind of what that does. And, and there were some really other, other really interesting, very visceral, very confronting work as well, like on the top level. There was this really interesting um, photo series by this artist who, when she was in high school, kind of had an issue with self-harm and the photo series was all her photos that she took kind of after these episodes of self-harm and kind of documenting them and kind of Photos of herself? Yeah, so it was very explicit. Um, they, they had this warning, like the, the guide kind of warned you when you got out of the elevator that there were all these images of self-harm and like really kind of explicit images. Like, you know, I'm not going to go into detail or anything. Um, Question. Yes. So during that time, she took the photos herself? Yeah, so she... And what was the purpose of her taking for herself? Like documentary, I guess. Yeah, kind of like documenting her own journey. It's during that time when she's like in the state where she's self-harmed. Yeah. Um, Is it normal that people would want to document it? You know? I don't know. It's like was she an artist back then, kind of or like, little like performed, right? Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering because well, like, see, was she it taken by someone else. No, she did it herself, her? and I guess it was kind of a self-reflection. Yes. Exercise. She didn't show it to anyone for years and years, and then she went to art school, and then was brave enough to show it to her art professors, and then eventually had a public exhibition of it. And that that experience was great for her because she realized that she wasn't alone in in this experience. And so that was really, really graphic and very visceral, viscerally, emotionally confronting. Um, How did she turn it into an artwork? Like, did she make it into... So she took photos of, like, for example, her arms or her body, um, kind of post these um, things that she did to herself. And they're actually very beautiful images, if you kind of forget about the the gruesome (laughs) aspect of it. Did she, like, put it all next to each other and, like... Yeah, so so how it's exhibited in the in the gallery is that just you know, on the wall kind of next to each other, interspersed with um, text like text of her talking about her own depression, like her experiences with self harm, and kind of talking more about like the sublime kind of aspect of it, like how she felt when she did these things and how she experienced her um, her mental health and. How long, um, over how long of a period did she take these photos? Um, so she was in high school when she did them, and then she kept it, I think she just kind of kept them blocked away. And then, and then later on, took them out again and, and was able to exhibit them. Um, what do you think is the major difference between uh, contemporary art in China or from China uh, from the contemporary art in Western world? That's really interesting. So I, I think what contemporary art in, in China and in Asia in general is dealing with currently is is like the effects of globalization and it's kind of 
I wouldn't say like lagging behind like the West in some sense, but you know, a lot of contemporary Chinese artists deal with, say, for example, political issues like the Chinese, like Great Firewall, yes. that kind of thing, yes. or um, increasing Western influence on, on Asia. Um, so you see a lot of that. Um, a lot of um, you also still see a lot of artists are responding to the intergenerational emotional trauma caused by now caused by the Great Revolution cultural revolution and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I do, sorry, I do notice a lot of them are out of this suppression, yeah. especially after a long period of time in mm. history. And then... Yeah, so I guess uh, for a lot of Chinese or Asian artists, a lot of them trying to find their positions in this um, Western world. Yeah. And uh, because art is um, basically from the Western world, they try to uh, integrate their uh, Chinese culture as a root, but based on that, they build it on top of that and then they try to um, serve, mix everything all together. And uh, it's really an interesting stage for them because um, basically it's just started and then this is really a good opportunity for them to create their own genre as well. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's strange. a really good point. Sorry, what are you saying? It's so strange that you think that art is from the Western world. Well, like, when we're talking about say, contemporary Chinese art, yeah. a lot of these artists are dealing with globalization, dealing, working in new media like video and sort of like referring to the internet so that, and that kind of thing. That they yes. think that this is a Western thing is very strange to me. Yeah. Do you mean they're inspired? There's always some no, degree of... No longer based on the classic paintings or classic arts. It's, uh, when it comes to contemporary, it's more about the expression you have. More about the information you want to tell people. Yeah, yeah. Like um, what was really interesting about this current exhibition was a lot of these works I've seen change at the gallery over the past ten years. Mm. So initially, there was a lot of work referring to um, communist China, referring to like that intergenerational trauma. But now in this exhibition, a lot of these artists who are Chinese artists or female Chinese artists specifically, they're not. They don't want to be identified as specifically a Chinese artist. Or female artists, they just they just want you to to experience their art and see them as artists, just contemporary artists. And I think that's a big change that's going on right now in the contemporary Chinese art world. Yeah, but yeah, that was a really interesting exhibition. I totally recommend everyone going to see it. So uh, apart from going to the art galleries or museums, um, I do have a lot of apps that I uh, look for information. So um, the most famous one is Arts and Culture by Google. So they would introduce a lot of artists and uh, uh, museums on this app. And then the my favorite uh, feature of this app is that you could actually take a selfie and they would find the painting. Yeah, that was very popular yeah. like a yeah. while ago. But it just we all had like the same picture because there aren't that many Chinese or Asian <laughs> portraits out there on Google. Yeah, but now we have more and more contemporary artists from China or Asia, so maybe like after a period of time we could find more art, art pieces that um, we 
we could find our selfies naturally. Uh, so uh, that's the first one. And then I really like the feature. It has this um, GPS related. So they would introduce you to those exhibitions around you, and you could get an idea before you go. And uh, apart from uh, this app, so Miss, how often do you go to an art gallery? Um, it depends. So after I came to Sydney, I think I go to galleries once a month at least. But but it was more often when I was in Europe because I do find there are a lot of uh, small galleries in Europe and they change all the time. Yeah, that's what I find as well. I think Milk and I probably go to the gallery once every that's, that's because a year. I party too. <laughs> or maybe once every half a year. Yeah, because Jack will. No, but we, I like to go uh, look at the Archibald Prize. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't know that there are so many different exhibitions and museums on once a month. You know, I thought they, like, one exhibition lasts for quite a long time. Yeah, but time. we only know, like, the big, like, New South Wales Art Gallery. Yeah, you yeah. see the big blockbuster, like, some of blockbuster exhibitions that draw another crowd. So where where do you normally um, find these exhibitions, or where do you normally go? Uh, like, it's not a word of mouth, and I guess internet. Um, but I always have a small list of galleries that I like to visit regularly. Um, and the big, the big galleries, they generally change exhibitions all the time, so they have like three or four going on at the same time and just alternate. Yeah. It's like me and my subscription to the Powerhouse Museum. <laughs> How often do you go to the Powerhouse Museum? I probably, I don't actually go to the Powerhouse Museum that often, maybe only once or twice a year. Um, there isn't that much on that I'm super into. Because do you make use of your membership? Uh, I Just going like once is enough to make use of that membership because the prices are quite expensive there. Um, but because it's under the MAAS uh, group, which is like arts as well, so I'm like, some of it at the powerhouse is not something that I really will go and see. Yeah. So you can also follow the apps, which are great. You could get information about what's going on around you. Um, so this week on the news, actually I think it was last weekend, uh, I saw an article about this woman who got a uterus transplant. Wow. Um, and I thought, that is so crazy. Like she had the transplant and then she had a kid and everything. Like it wasn't like, I mean, of course you wouldn't get the transplant for any other reason, but people are doing this now and they have like, it actually works. Question. Did she get a Caesar? Cesarean. Yes, she had a cesarean. Yeah, that's the only way it would work. Um, so I was just thinking, like, I guess two questions. Uh, would you donate your uterus ever? And if you if you were someone who was, so the lady in the news article was born without one, um, if you think, if you were in her position, do you think you would want a uterus transplant? Or do you think you would accept the fact that you were born without one? I mean, it, it all depends on how much you want to kid, though, right? Like, if you were really desperate to have a biological child, then I guess you would go for it. But at surgery, anything to you, would you? Oh, me, personally? Like, I'm not sure about one pie. Where, who, who, where did she get the uterus from? Her sister gave it to her. 
Okay. So how old was the lady who got the uterus and how old was the lady who um, I don't remember how old they were, but her sister had already had three kids before uh, donating the uterus. Mm. And I think after the, the um, after you have the kid, you have to give the uterus back or something? What? You get the uterus back? To the sister? What? I think so, what? because like she was, I don't know why, maybe it's because you can't just take it out of someone who originally had it in the first place or something? I don't know. No, you can get hysterectomies. It's not It's not a big deal. I don't know why. That's but like, weird. it was so like, reading about it and she was like, oh, I got my period for the first time. It was like, wow. Yeah, because you wouldn't have it otherwise. How long did it take you before she felt pregnant after the... Well, it was IVF, so I don't, I don't remember um, details of that. Hmm. Would, would you donate your uterus? Sure. If someone needed it, <laughs> like I'm not sure if I want kids. I think like it makes sense to donate it if you you know you already feel like you have enough kids and you want to help someone out. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Mm. But it's not like it. It would be fairly major surgery. It would be pretty like it. It's not that major because people do cesareans all the time and it's kind of every day. But I've never heard of this. So being dumb, yes. as a med student, yes. what does a uterus look like? And like, theoretically speaking, is it a sac? How would you take it out? Does it harm the body? How big is it? A uterus? Well, it depends if you had a kid or not, like, or how many kids. And like, all uteruses look different But, you know, they're about a, I'd say, like, tennis ball size. A scone. A scone size. Kind of very firm muscle. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thing. And what is it attached to? Um, so they've got different layers of fascia and, and stuff that attach it, ligaments and things that attach it to the surrounding structures. And you can just cut it out, basically. Yeah. Okay. So um, the thing was they had uh, when you take it out, you have to take it out with something that supply it with stuff. I don't vessels. know some some vessels, vessels and also part of the part of the vagina. Okay, the cervix. Probably, but well, of course, yeah. yeah so, yeah. If you were to um, have your uterus taken out, though, surely your body would have a lot of physiological changes, right? Like, would you suddenly go into menopause? They don't, turn, they don't take out the ovaries. If they don't oh. take out the ovaries, yeah. Because that that lady already had ovaries. She just didn't have a uterus. What about you, Nash? I don't know. I think I'd be happy to donate it after death. You'll be very old by then. Well, assuming. <laughs> but does, it, does the uterus degrade over time? Oh yeah, of course, of course. Like any even other if you don't use part. it. Well, yeah. If you use it, don't use it. Then it will degrade even more. Oh, if you don't use it, it will degrade even more. I guess so. I mean, you lose what you don't use, right? It's like a muscle. If you use it, more. I so see. If you use it more, is it stronger? Because oh, you're afraid have more kids. Well, actually, no. I'll have to do a bit more research on that because the more kids you have, the more prone you are to rupture. I mean, she is not a strong point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think if I was on the receiving end, I don't think I would want to have one. I think I would just live with the fact that I don't have one. You don't want kids anyway. I don't want kids. That's true. Um, what about would you um, agree to surrogacy? Would I agree to? Hold someone else's kid. I no, sure. as in what I mean is, um, if you were born without a uterus and you really want a child, yeah, would you basically, since you still have ovaries, right? Would you then put your egg and your husband's sperm in someone else's body? Would you accept that? Um, 
I don't see a problem with it. Yeah, I don't see the problem either. Is there a problem? I don't think there's a problem. It's just more. But it's not legal. It's your child, right? It's not legally yours. I guess they have to sign a contract and everything. Oh, so it's not legally yours. It is legally yours. Oh, okay. In Australia, I don't know. I feel like it's part of it. I think it's illegal here. So that brings into the whole problem of. If something comes out of you, is that yours or not yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've seen articles where um, when the child's born, I guess their parents do explain how they came about and they refer to one as like their real mom and they sometimes refer to the other one as their tummy mummy. Tummy mummy. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Mm. <laughs> but I don't think I will ever get to this point because I don't plan on having kids. Do you plan on having kids, Nisa? No, not really. I would probably consider about adoption if I ever want a kid. But all by myself. I don't think so. Yeah. Milk is probably the one here. Like, yeah. I'm gonna have a whole yeah. cup of kids. I want How two many? kids. <laughs> and a dog. Of course, a dog. Two kids and a dog. So let's talk about some weird things. So. What are some weird habits that we each have? So, for example, for me, when I sleep, I always have my blanket corners in a specific certain way. I like them nice and sharp, and I always pinch it. <laughs> and then I don't know why, it's a sense of comfort, and that's how I fall asleep. And so as the years go by, you'll notice that the edges of my blanket, they deteriorate and fray, and sometimes like they lose the color. Yeah, I, I can't fall asleep without them. I don't think I have any, like, in terms of sleeping, I like to hug my pillow instead of using my pillow. Um, <laughs> Do you like body pillows? I don't have one. They're like the long, thin ones, right? What, you're like hugging it? Or you're I, like... Just look, like, I just hug a normal sized pillow. And hugging it? Yeah, I just hug one. Yeah, like hugging a pillow to go to sleep is quite normal. I don't know, but I don't use it. Like, I don't use a normal pillow under my head. Oh! <laughs> I can list one for you. Oh, yeah. You always squish your food in your hand. Only if it's squishable. It's yeah, like but sandwiches, for example, sandwiches. But only, you know, back in school when they were wrapped in thin wrap, so they were safe to squish. I remember what you said to me before, though. They taste better squished. They do taste better squished. <laughs> I have a theory about the hypothesis. Like, you know, when you eat food and and you digest the food, and cooking is a way of, of changing the chemical structure of food so that it becomes more like its digestive state so that humans are better able to digest it. I reckon that if you squish the sandwich long enough, it will become <laughs> more digestible. It becomes digestible, but and does, it, does it taste better? I reckon it does. I reckon it does. I don't think squishing it does anything other than compacting it a bit more. What did you, what did you, that link you sent us about slapping a chicken? Oh, oh no, that was, that oh, that was, was, um, that was milk. milk. Yeah, I linked you guys um, a video link where some guy was like, theoretically, if I slapped a chicken for two whole hours, it should cook. <laughs> because like of the yeah, energy. Yeah, that, that, that has a lot of assumptions. Yeah. Many, many assumptions. I don't know if theoretically it, 
is popular. Have you heard of this one? No. So let me explain to Miss O, since she seems to be the only one who doesn't understand this. Um, there was a question on Reddit, I think. I think it was originally on Reddit where this user asked, uh, how hard would I have to slap a chicken um, to cook it? Um, if we assume that kinetic energy turns into heat energy, why? So some scientists out there, engineers maybe, uh-huh. uh, did the calculations and you got, I think, what, what was the result? Well, they were saying like, if you could do four slaps in one second, you have to slap for two whole hours to cook it. But how hard do you slap? I know, it looked like he slapped quite hard. But the thing yeah. is... Um, he couldn't make it past half an hour. <laughs> That's very tiring work. Yeah. But you, if you think about it, there's a lot of energy that goes into cooking a chicken. <laughs> you know, if you swallow a raw egg and you vomit it back up, it comes out like scrambled eggs. That's so gross. <laughs> Why? Because your digestive system denatures the proteins and then changes the chemical structure of the egg itself that it comes out cooked. Because cooking food is basically just changing food until it's more digestible. Are you so, speaking from personal experience? Yes. <laughs> no. So is it like um so the acid does something to it? Yeah, the acid. Because um, I don't imagine the heat inside us is... It's like, it's like you know when you have... Um, is it savish, which is raw fish that mm-hmm. is cooked in acid, like lemon, lemon oh, lime okay. juice. I don't know. So it changes the chemical structure of the fish, but you're not like putting any heat to it, you're just putting it in acid, yes. and that cooks it. But the thing is, when you have acid reacting with water, that produces quite a bit of heat. Oh. I know because I have... Uh, experience. <laughs> experience this in lab a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's something to do with it. Yeah. So, me, so, do you have any weird habits? I bite my nails too often. That's not without weird, uh, that's quite common. But, yeah, but I get anxious, I bite my nails really hard, and there was a period of time I got told that I should stop, otherwise, my nails would fall <laughs> off. And then my mom was like, she had this colleague who had this uh, same habit, but then it got so bad. She had to go to the hospital and uh, remove all the nails. Oh, oh. Actually, remove all of it. Yeah. Wow. Was it because it got infected or something? Yes. So she told me not to. And then I came up with this idea. So I would paint my nails because you know the polisher is poisonous. Mm. So I would be like... Is okay. it actually poisonous or just yeah. tastes bad? I think it's poisonous. It's chemicals, right? Well, I guess if you ingested a large amount of it. Yeah. yeah. Anything if you ingest a large amount of it. <laughs> anyway, so I painted my nails so I could stop biting them. But I couldn't help myself, so I ate them all. <laughs> I actually, I used to bite my nails. But then after I got braces, I literally couldn't reach my nails. <laughs> really? Yeah, my braces got in the way, so I stopped. After that, I got used to them. I never bit my nails again. That's good, then. Yeah. Can you think of any weird habits that I have? No. Um, well, I remember full on that back in high school in math class, for some reason, my face was a thinking board for her. So any time, yeah, any time that um, she couldn't solve a math question, she would somehow figure the answer out just by looking at my face. <laughs> so sometimes she'd stare at my face for like five whole seconds, 
not saying anything. Your face is all the answers. <laughs> I'm, I'm fed. I'm on it. But, but I do this to everyone. I don't know what you do this to me. I'm still your number one thinking boy. Yes, because you are the least, uh, <laughs> you now know not to react, which doesn't distract me from my thinking. Oh, another weird habit I have is um, when I yawn, I like scratching my belly. <laughs> I like literally scratch my belly and then I like sometimes scratch my ribcage. I don't know why. It's you just a natural that. reaction. Can and you yawn without doing that? I don't know. I just do it subconsciously, and I, I think it runs in my family because my dad does it and my sister does it. Because <laughs> I can make myself yawn. <laughs> Make yourself yawn. Yeah. Oh. Um, you just breathe in in a certain way and then it turns into a yawn. It turns into a sigh. I think it's all very psychological, but now that we're talking about it, I feel like yawning. Really? Yeah. It is contagious, though. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, if I'm in public, I don't scratch my belly. <laughs> so you can control it. I can, but it feels nice. It feels more complete. <laughs> when did you start it? I actually don't know. I think I started when I was quite young. I must have maybe like seen my dad do it, so I just copied it and it became a habit for me. But we noticed my sister does it too, and we never taught her, so... Genetic. Yeah, my mom was like, maybe it's genetic. <laughs> the other thing that Milk does that I've always found very strange is that when you touch her head, or um, like it, her head accidentally touches something, she will bob. And because of this, um, Duck and I spent a lot of high school <laughs> randomly tapping or very hardly hitting her head. I think... The correct term is slapping. <laughs> but even if we sort of put our hands over your head and made that motion without even touching your head, you would still do it. No, I've seen her like walk under a tree and it touches a leaf and then she goes and I bob like a turtle. My head just bobs. So earlier this week, Duck sent us link and it was about Brexit. Um, and this was before they decided to delay it or whatever. So... I was talking about how Britain may run out of toilet paper in probably like a few days. I don't think it was really serious though. Um, but that got me thinking like, how how do you get to a point where a country can run out of toilet paper? <laughs> and what would you do if you ran out of toilet paper? Water. You would use water? Where, yeah. where are you going to get the water? Well, you would use leaves. Are you just going to go outside into the backyard and start stopping leaves? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but are, then you, are you going to flush the leaves down the no, toilet? No, no. You shouldn't flush anything except toilet paper down the toilet. So I would just dump it in a hole in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. What would you do, Milk? Um, she wouldn't poop. I don't know. If I needed to, like... The other thing that crosses my mind is why can't you just use normal tissues? Oh, you shouldn't put normal tissues down the top. I know that, but like, you can still use them and then chuck them in the bin. Aren't they more expensive? Are normal tissues more expensive than toilet paper? Mm. Ah, I see. But I would only use one sheet of normal tissue compared to like. Okay, well, three sheets. I would presume that if the country runs out of toilet paper, they would also run out of other types of tissue. But they're not the same. 
like they're still made here our toilet paper would be made in Australia or some of them are would you use a handkerchief depends <laughs> how many handkerchiefs do I have to spare no and then like you would wash it you know what did they use before toilets water the water, yeah, they, water they, they use water okay. right and they Where? are Japanese toilets um, but like before issues. plumbing, before toilets, uh, how do you wait, 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 before we get to that point? How do we dry your butt after it's with a towel? Water. The top. I see. Yes. Shake. You know, when I went Shake to Bali, right? Yeah. I really needed to go to the toilet, and then everywhere I went, they don't have toilet paper, but they would have a bucket of water. Yes. With like oh. with like a ladle. Right? A ladle. And then when I asked the driver, because we had like a designated driver for us, I was like. They don't have toilet paper. He actually laughed because apparently all of them say that they just use the bucket of water and I was like, but how do you dry yourself after because you have water all over yourself and apparently they just pull the pants off, wet, and say because the heat dries everything up. I wouldn't <laughs> What would you do later? I have no clue. Leaves. I would socks. not. I would no. not do. <laughs> Ew. Who's used socks before? <laughs> if you're desperate, maybe. You just is... never use the socks again. Um, I would not use leaves. I would rather use, like, newspaper. Why? What's the difference? Leaf would be softer than... What sort of leaves are you using? Soft leaves. Soft leaves. Where, where do we find soft leaves Trees. in this country? Trees. In this country. You, have you never felt a soft leaf no. before? No, they're always hard and dry. I mean, the majority well, fresh, here are fresh like, ones. Are like gum leaves. No, no, not gum leaves. I mean, you know, the soft types of like soft what? trees. I don't know the names of trees. But soon, soon they're all the going to start planting. Yeah, the big, the big leaf-shaped, typical leaf-shaped leaves. Like the ones that look like maple leaves? No, no, not maple leaves, just... The typical leaf shape. I have no idea what she's talking about. Have, no, you, no, do I? No, no, have you not seen a tree other than a eucalyptus? I know, but the majority of trees in this country are eucalyptus trees. Those little, those not, what, not in the I city. See, what's in the city? We don't have eucalyptus trees in the city. But I don't think of those as I don't think they're tall enough to be considered trees. I think of them more as like plants. If they flower, they're a plant to me. No, I mean, okay. If you walk around the botanical <laughs> garden, Google it. If you walk around the botanical gardens, she's, she's gonna go to the botanical yeah. gardens. <laughs> Maybe you'll end up wiping yourself Wait. with flowers instead. Do you not have trees in your backyard? They're not all eucalyptus. Yeah, but even all the leaves there are hard. Okay, maybe we have. We use petals. Why not? Yeah, petals. Yeah. Petals will make sense. How many petals do you have? I don't have any petals in my. But garden. will we get hate people <laughs> down there? I don't know. I don't know. I thought if we're exposed to any of it, you know. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. You're still listening to We Don't Have a Name Yet. See you next time. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.